University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. We're about to watch a short film, and before we watch this, I need to warn you. Um, This is offensive and downright degrading, but I ask that you open, you watch this with a, a sense of openness and grace. Adam. Tangabaloa trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Now, I spoke with Adam last week, and I was prepared to yank this video if LSU got dump trucked by Georgia yesterday. But since the Georgia defense made sure, or Georgia defense made sure they didn't show up to the game, I thought there was fair game to play this video. My favorite part of this video, if we decided to re-watch it, uh, was Irv Smith Jr., number 82, completely dump trucks the camera guy that runs into the end zone to capture uh, this moment. It's been 279 days since Tua Tegelavoa, and yes, it's a difficult name to say, came an Alabama legend. If you probably haven't noticed, college football season has begun. There is nothing more polarizing in the South than college football. Hence, by playing that video, some of y'all were already calling into question that vote you made in April. (laughs) Between LSU and Florida, Auburn and Alabama, there is fierce hatred among fan bases than any other. Of course, you've got the Vanderbilts and the Ole Miss of the group that somehow they think they add something to college football, but but we all know. Friendships have ended, families have been split, and pastors have been fired for pulling for the wrong team in the wrong town. But we don't want to repeat that history. Wouldn't you agree that there's nothing more polarizing than college sports allegiance? Before we dig into this conversation, should we play the video again? Would that be? In reality, our sports allegiance uh, is an uh, affiliation, is, is a microcosm of an even greater cultural narrative. To say that we live in the most polarizing time when it comes to politics and economics and faith is a bit of an understatement. Unless you just woke up from a 24-month coma, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And just in case you did wake up from a 24-month coma, I do apologize, but let me catch you up on a few things you've missed. We had a total solar eclipse last year. Uh, The world stopped to watch the royal wedding, and I slept in and enjoyed my sleep. You need to binge watch The Handmaid's Tale, Uh, Stranger Things, and Netflix Daredevil series, and oh, by the way, Alabama did win their fifth national title in the last nine years. Americans are divided on almost everything these days. When it comes to social policy, to race discrimination, from foreign policy, to who should be voted into the NCAA college football playoffs, there seems to be nothing that we can agree on. I'm trying to remember a day when I could disagree with someone and walk away without that person questioning the very vile nature of my character. Equality requires people to see something from another point of view. But instead, we're more uh, adapted to enclose ourselves into our bubbles. 
Equality requires that we have a shared set of facts. Instead, we seem to be offering alternative parallels to a separate universe. But what I want us to see this morning is that there is a different way to handle this. With an ever-increasing divide within almost every issue, this surge of tribalism has arisen. We all would identify with a tribe, though we might not realize it. You might say, go Tigers, while I might say, roll Tide, roll. If only our divisiveness was singularly focused on college football. Yet there are other tribes that we subscribe to, whether race or sexuality or faith or party allegiance or ethical dilemmas or infinite list of other matters. There is nothing inherently wrong with surrounding yourself with like-minded people. However, tribalism comes with a host of downsides, such as feeling a sense of superiority, faultlessness, and self-righteousness. And let's not forget the isolation of our mind to other people who might think differently than we think. So we quarantine our eyes and our ears away from people who are not like us. And there is great danger in seeing things from only one point of view, unless you're right, right? Tribalism cannot be reasoned with. And when we gather into our tribes, we gather because we feel threatened. We feel threatened from other perspectives. We entrench ourselves deeper and deeper into our views so that we can feel safe and secure and in control. Of course, the church has never been guilty of tribalism. Shall we give a brief glimpse into our history? I'm sure those Gentile believers might argue a different story. Ask the barbaric tribes that were forced to either baptize or be killed by the Roman Empire. Eventually, we would not peek under the rug in 1525 of the Peasant Revolt, fight against the abolition of slavery, women's suffrage, and the white-hot racism and segregation of the South. Unfortunately, more often than not, the church has an unhealthy sense of tribalism. We have, from time to time, created a, a proverbial line in the sand when it comes to social issues, ethical opinions, political endorsements, sexuality preferences, and theological stances. Each time a line is drawn in the sand, our beloved stance creates isolation, exclusion, and fragmentation. And too often the church has been a people that is more concerned with right and wrong, stay or leave, comfort or depart. I thought we were supposed to be a people known of humility and meekness and compassion. So is there a way for us to handle equality and theological diversity? Yes, and for this we turn to our text in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. For Paul, his, his argument to the letter in Galatians was a life and death situation. Paul writes with clarity and directness and passion. Paul believes he is fighting for the soul of the church and for the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a very real and clear theological divide that's taking place in this church. And from the opening sentence, Paul is on the defense. Galatians 1.6 I am astonished that you have so quickly deserted the one who called you to live into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really not a gospel at all. Evidently, some people thrown you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Whoa, Paul. 
Verse 9, As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody preaches to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And just in case you missed the chippy flavor of the book of Galatians, Paul writes this in chapter 5, verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. What in the name of Paul, the genitalia butcher, is going on in the book of Galatians? Whatever Paul is fighting about, he is so passionate that he tells these people who are rivaling his Gospels to go and emasculate themselves. You didn't think you would hear that word in, in, in worship this morning. What is the context of Galatians? This we need to turn back in time. Do you remember our time in the book of Acts last month where we looked at Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's standing before the Jerusalem council, and his argument is that these Gentile converts should not have to be circumcised in order to fully follow Christ. And the Jerusalem council, they voted and they confirmed that we no longer have to do that. We're not going to require that grown men be circumcised in order for them to follow Christ. The Jerusalem Council took place in 50 A.D. Then this, the issue of circumcision rears its head again in the book of Galatians. And depending on which biblical scholarship you attribute to, you have to understand who these agitators are that are coming after Paul. That's another conversation for another time. But whatever uh, is to this case, Paul is arguably so vehemently against those that are trying to thwart this gospel that he has preached to this church. Paul is fighting for what he believes to be defense of the gospel and, 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 and prevention of, of Gentiles having to live into these Jewish customs. Paul is fighting against the idea that Christians must embrace the full participation in Jewish heritage along with faith in Jesus just to gain God's favor. This is a very real theological divide in this church and these church leaders. This is a very real first major theological divide that the church will face in its history, letting Gentiles into the club whether or not they are circumcised. It seems like the early church just accepted that theological differences was going to be a part of their identity moving forward for the next nearly 2,000 years. I don't want to bore you with another history lesson, but the church grew and theological divides only increased. In the years to come, they will have church leaders fighting over whether they should be in bed with the Roman Empire, over the nature of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the compiling of Scripture itself. The church history of division just steamrolls forward into the schisms of the Eastern and Western Church, the Protestant Reformation, the Puritans leaving the Church of England to establish their own religious colonies, the Southern Baptist movement splitting off in this new movement called the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship being formed. Every generation has faced theological issues and divide. 60 to 70 years ago, it was capitalism and socialism, as well as the sale and use of alcohol. 50 to 60 years ago, it was segregation in the South. 20 to 30 years ago, it was women's role in the ministry and interpretation of Scripture. The church today continues to face a theological divide. We like to disagree and argue with each other. Now it's over political allegiance, women in ministry, the nature of sin, the list goes on and on. 
it's a bit ironic. The church is so divided, and Jesus took time to pray for our unity in the last few hours before he was arrested and crucified, and that takes place in John 16 and 17. For those who claim to follow Jesus, although God desires for the church to be one body, we live fractured lives of faith. At the end of the day, we have been taught that there needs to be a clear winner, a clear right and wrong. And our desire to have a winner and a loser, right and wrong, increases our aptitude to draw lines in the sand. And when we start to draw lines in the sand, the time for negotiation and compromise begins to dissolve. Another thing begins to happen when we draw sides. People begin to ask, should I stay or should I go? And even when clear sides have been drawn, those who tend to think that they are right and everyone else is wrong either choose to stay or to leave. Tribalism always, always asks these questions and always draws a line in the sand. But these questions of who is right and who is wrong, should I stay or should I go, these are the wrong questions. We need to rethink our approach to theological disagreements within the church. Do you remember the great Dr. Seuss? One of my favorite books of Dr. Seuss was the story of the Sneetches. There were, of course, star belly Sneetches and plain belly Sneetches. Plain belly Sneetches remained depressed and, and, and oppressed, prohibited from associating with the star bellied Sneetches because they didn't have a star on their belly. So, Sylvester McMonkey McBean comes up with his star on and star off machine. He begins to give stars to the plain belly Sneetches. As soon as they're happy, they look forward to being a part of the elite counterparts. The original star belly Sneetches are so angry that they are no longer the only ones with a star belly Sneetch, and so they go to Sylvester McBean to have him remove the stars from their bellies. And this continues forward and forward until they can't remember who started with the star on their belly and who did not have the star on their belly. It never ceases to amaze me how brilliant the work of Seuss continues many generations after he penned these works. You see, the world seeks tribes. But the church, those who follow Jesus Christ, we need to pump the brakes on tribalism. The church was not designed for tribalism. Tribalism is rooted in fear. Fear produced out of the need for control. When we fear something, we need to control it so that we won't fear it. We need to control things we are at odds with so that we can remove the threat from our existence. And the Bible tells us that there is no love in fear. For perfect love drives out all fear. Tribalism delusions the church. It blinds us from the real mission and vision of Jesus. It causes us to alienate and, and fracture others. Tribalism builds up walls to the rest of the world. It accepts that judgment and condemnation are the norm. It negates God's plan for us to think deeply, not narrow-mindedly. Yet one thing is certain. We do not see this within the Scriptures. We do not see the ordination from God for us to continue to fracture and fracture and fracture into self-righteousness and triumphalism and entrenchment into our proper beliefs. So tribalism isn't what God had in mind for the church. Could it be that we've confused the mission of being right 
over the mission of being the presence of Jesus in the world? Could it be that the church needs to seek a fuller spectrum of theological perspectives, shaping the way that we see and interact with each other in the world? Could it be that the church does not need to draw a line in the sand, but expand the landscape in which it hears and shares more diverse stories? And Paul begins to formulate this in chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no Jew or Gentile, nor slave nor free. There is nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to his promise. This is one of the most beautiful and profound statements in all of Paul's letters. It's hard to even give commentary on it because it speaks for itself. Paul proclaims that there is openness and dissolving of barriers and tearing downs of indifference and a call for unity within the kingdom of God. And at the same time, Paul is embracing the diversity that exists within God's children. Because he says here, there is nothing that divides us. Because of who we are in Christ as one, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no some that are male and others female. There is no some that are slave and those who are free because Jesus unites us all. God knows this is a message the church needs to hear today. That we have so many things that divide us, yet we are all one in Christ. We can either choose to let our differences divide us or we can choose to let Jesus unite us. This is the essential thing that unites us. That you and I, although we have diverse experience and backgrounds and perspectives and race and nationality and gender and everything under the sun, we all can be one in Christ. These are the essential things that unite us. Christ unites us. Everything else It's just out there. And it's time for the church to rediscover what really matters, what really unites us, not what divides us and subdivides us and fractures us and moves us apart. And Paul begins to build this in chapter 5, verse 13, when he writes this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Love? Love's the answer? Paul must have been the biggest hippie there ever lived. Love? Love? That's the answer? That's what Paul comes down to? All these issues we have with each other, all the things that divide us come down to love? Maybe Jesus was serious when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a complicated world with complicated situations, complicated opinions, complicated theological differences, and complicated conflict, and it all really boils down to one easy thing. If we simply seek to love and serve each other rather than divide and conquer one another. 
We are united with Christ and sustained through the love of Christ. And as we consider why we do what we do, as we've been looking at this series, we we say that we want to be a community of equality. Yet can we have diversity and equality within a faith community? It's such a rare thing to express these days. And for the church, for us to have equality and diversity, we must strive to have theological diversity rather than a tribalism mentality. One way that we can live this out is by first focusing on the things that unite us, the essentials of our faith, not the non-essential opinions we have about all these other matters. And just in case we need to know what the essentials are for our faith, for the last 1,800 years, the church has had two statements of faith that unite us, found in the Apostle and Nicene Creed. The church leaders very early on said, this is the thing that matters. The church community should be a safe space to ask questions and to wrestle with difficult answers and yet wrestle with there might be more questions than answers. Within this faith community are a plethora of traditions. There are people who, yes, grew up Baptist, but within this church there are Methodists and Presbyterians and Catholics and Anglicans and non-denominationals and more. This diversity of experience draws us into a unique community together. Not everyone is going to see eye to eye on the non-essential things of our faith, and that is okay. It's okay that we can disagree. It's okay that we might not see eye to eye on things. What matters is how we treat each other within our differences. Instead of seeking control and aligning ourselves with others who don't see eye to eye with us, what if our stance was simply to love each other? And to love and to love and to love. What if our stance is to be a community of radical hospitality for all of God's children, no matter where they are on life's journey? What if our stance was to wrestle through these issues in community together, not make blanket statements of faith of whether you can be a part of us or not a part of us? And for us to create diversity and equality, we must have intentional space of healthy dialogue together. How we engage in theological conversations matters. In a day of polarization, the church should be a place where people can come and listen and speak about things from varying perspectives. And when we fail to listen to others in respectful ways, are we truly loving them? In creating platforms for conversations like we have with Sunday School and our new philosophical and theological connect group, no, that was not a shameless plug, We are providing space for people to think deeply about why they believe what they believe, why they feel the way they feel. And yet at the same time, we want to create a space where we can listen to each other intently, respecting in how we convey our opinions and maintaining confidentiality that what is said in a space doesn't go out and everybody else hears about it. The goal is to walk more closely with Jesus together, and that requires us to love and embrace our diversity of perspectives. And the most important way that we create community and equality is by leaning more towards God and less towards ourselves and our righteous perspectives. At the end of the day, God's love for us is so deep and so wide. So we turn to the incredible and mysterious nature of God's love to embrace one another. The conclusion of the Sneetches story comes to mind. It reads, 
I'm quite happy to say that the Sneetches got really quite smart on that day, the day they decided that Sneetches are Sneetches, and no kind of Sneetch is the best on the beaches. That day, all the Sneetches forgot about stars and whether they had one or not. Equality seeks to listen rather than close off. It seeks to share rather than to divide. It seeks patience rather than anger. Equality seeks love rather than fear and control. Equality seeks unity.